Um, my name is Nancy Neal. Um, I am the Associate for Denominational Women's Organization Relations at Bread for the World. Um, it is a mouthful, and so I just tell folks I work with church ladies all the time. Um, I, uh, I don't know, do you all know Bread for the World at all? Do you know who we are, what we do? For those of you who don't, um, Bread for the World is a collective Christian voice urging our nation's decision makers to end hunger and, po- and poverty both here in the U.S. and abroad. And we believe that by changing policies, um, government policies, that, that we can impact hunger and poverty in a really broad, broad scale. So it really supports the work that you all do in your missions. Um, so my uh, role at Bread for the World, working with church ladies, is to engage in a campaign for maternal and child nutrition called the Thousand Days Campaign. Um, do you all know what 1,000 days is? Someone knows, yes. So, you want to say? Yes, it's the beginning of pregnancy until the second birthday. So, yes, it's a period of time that starts at the beginning of a woman's pregnancy and goes through her child's second birthday. I probably can move this along here. Um, and so, we're working with church ladies around the country to um, impact policies around maternal and child nutrition. So, I'm here to tell you all a little bit more about Thousand Days. Um, I would love to know who's here, though. So, if you all just, if anybody wants to say really briefly what you do, we can do it sort of popcorn style. Not everybody has to talk. Just say why you're here and what you, you know, just a little bit about what you do and why this is of interest to you, a few of you. Or all of you, but fast. Okay. Okay. College students. College students. College students. Cool. Anyone else? Administering a child feeding program and a birthing center. Okay, cool. Yes. <laughs> Anyone else? I'm a family physician and Cool. Nice. Anyone else? OBGYN. Okay. Cool. So there's all kinds of expertise in this room. I'm not the only one with information. So if you have um, stories to share or thoughts or questions, just interrupt me and we'll, we'll get going um, now. Um, and so there's always, you know, when I go to missions kinds of conferences, there's always really cool stories that illustrate all the things that I'm going to say. So feel free to share those. Um, so like I said, Thousand Days is this critical window that starts at the beginning of a woman's pregnancy and goes through her child's second birthday. And this is a really, really critical window. And those of you who are mothers or doctors or work in um, childhood stuff, you understand this is really critical because of the development that happens for a child in that period of time. And so we have this incredible opportunity to really change the lives of women and children around the world by improving nutrition in that critical window. Um, So here's what we can do in a thousand days. We can save lives. Um, There are tons of lives lost from malnutrition every year. Um, And I'll show you a slide that has cool information about it in a second. 
um, we can give children a better start to life. So they really develop stronger. Their immune systems are stronger. Their brains develop more fully. And um, you just, there's so much good stuff that happens in that um, window of time. And then also... Um, women's health improves. So if you focus on improving her nutrition, both as a teenager and as a pregnant woman and, uh, and young mother, you know, she has the resources to support the growth of a child um, with her. And then really, you know, we can get communities on track to lift themselves out of poverty. So this is an investment. This is a way to help people to, um, to be able to have the resources that they need to lift themselves out of poverty. So a well-nourished child is more likely to continue her education, to have a higher IQ, and earn more income throughout her lifetime. So I want to talk a little bit about the, some of the major issues with, um, with uh, nutrition in this critical window. When a child is born, um, without good nutrition, without enough calories, and without the right kinds of calories, Children are at risk of stunting, of being underweight, and of being wasted. Um, so you'll see in this slide, um, this is a growth chart. Um, I'm not an expert, and I spent some time in, in Malawi and Zambia and Tanzania, and so I have some pictures from that trip. Um, so you'll see the, the, um, the measurements of the child height and weight and age here. And, um, and it's similar to the charts we would have here in the United States. Um, in Zambia, where we were, they told us that the women carry these charts around with them everywhere um, and that they um, track how well the child is doing. And if you look here, if the dots are moving upward, this is really good. Um, if they're flat, you know, like they're going down or, you know, down is really dangerous, flat is, is kind of in the danger zone. And so, um, you know, if a child doesn't have the right, you know, enough calories to begin with and then not the right kind of calories, when they get sick, they're in crisis mode. And so really fast children could die. Um, and so really the, the primary thing here is saving lives, saving um, children who are at risk. So if your body is fighting off a disease, um, this child's body doesn't have the energy to be growing and developing because they're spending all their energy on, on disease. Um, so stunting is an indicator of undernutrition. And stunting, you, you probably all heard when you were a kid that coffee will stunt your growth as a kid. So it's that kind of thing. This stuff is, it's not a joke. It really happens. And so you see, um, and I, I should have brought the picture, um, you'll see children who are, are short for their height. And, and it's hard to tell because everybody in the community is short, and so you don't really notice it. But then when you compare communities and children in communities to communities around the world, the children are shorter than they should be or than they have the potential to be. Um, and then underweight, in, you know, you don't weigh as much as the child doesn't weigh as much as supposed to for its age. And wasting is really when, when a child is severely, severely um, malnourished and um, on the edge of death, really. Um, so this slide shows um, the impact of nutrition on other diseases, um, other health issues. So um, this shows that undernutrition contributes to 70, 73% of deaths related to diarrhea. So um, it's a huge problem. Like if, if a child, and these are the things that children die from. Um, so 
if a child gets diarrhea and it dies, there's a good chance that nutrition is a, is a significant impact on it, on that child. Um, it's the single largest cause of child mortality, as this says. Um, it's an underlying cause of death for more than 3.1 million children each year, and that's 45% of uh, child deaths. I think that number is 47% now. Uh, it's gone up. Children are at greater risk for disease because their bodies are not strong enough, and they're more likely to experience night blindness because of vitamin A deficiencies. I have in here as well. Um, so there's some really, really simple and inexpensive, cost-effective um, strategies for addressing undernutrition. And the first is breastfeeding. It's so obvious, but um, breastfeeding exclusively for the first six months, from zero to six months, and then complementary feeding afterwards. So continuing to breastfeed through the age of two um, really ensures that a child gets the right kind of nutrients. Now, the flip side of that is that the mother also needs the right kind of nutrients because if she's breastfeeding, the body, the, the baby is going to take everything. So she needs the right nutrients as well to, to um, keep up her, her um, health. So the second thing is um, good uh, sanitation and hygiene practices. And this is, um, this is a picture of a, a hand-washing station from Malawi, um, and so it's really, really simple. It's three sticks, a bottle of water, some chicken wire, and, and some string, and uh, some little bricks. And so what happens is, the, um, if you can't tell, there's a bottle suspended here, and it's tied to this, um, this stick. And you step on the stick, and it turns the bottle down and gets water on your hands. Um, but, you know, we know how important hand-washing is, but if you're having to walk miles and miles for water, you probably would think twice about washing your hands, especially if you don't know how critical it is for, um, for preventing diseases, which then uh, make undernutri- exacerbate undernutrition problems. Um, so, also, education is really critical. So, in Malawi, when we were there, the, the, this is a program with... Um, USAID and Catholic Relief Services um, partnering together to do education around the importance of nutrition in this 1,000-day window. And so this skirt has um, all the different food groups. And so they meet together as a community every day, and they figure out, they weigh the kids and figure out who's at risk, and they they, um, cook together, and they teach the families how to develop a porridge that is more nutritious, that is targeted specifically for these at-risk children. And so one of the ways to do that is to to have the food groups on their their clothing. And the men have similar shirts with, uh, had similar shirts with, with the stuff, the circle on their, on their back and chest. Another really important, important um, uh, solution is to improve farming techniques. Um, an example of that is uh, changing from white flesh sweet potatoes to orange flesh sweet potatoes. How many of you have ever, ever had white flesh sweet potatoes? Yeah, some of you have, but. Orange flesh sweet potatoes have more vitamin A, which is really critical to prevent night blindness, to support the immune system. And so, um, so there are simple techniques of, of changing the diversity of the crops and getting people access to, um, 
to crops, uh, to farming, and getting people farming to both provide a diversity in their diet and also to sell the crops so that they can purchase foods that are more diverse. Um, my mother used to always say um, she would always measure how good our meal was at dinner by how colorful the plate was. And so she would be like, this is a terrible meal. There is no color here um, today. So it holds true. Um, so there's a couple other solutions, um, vitamin and mineral supplements. And so this is a drying rack. This picture is a drying rack of herbs that have lots of nutrients that get added to the porridges to make them more nutritious for um, young children. And then also the fortification of staple foods. Um, we have fortified foods here. Our milk has vitamin D in it so that we absorb calcium better. Um, uh, some of the, um, you know, the... Um, they, 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 you know, different countries will fortify different foods. Some, some countries fortify cooking oil because everybody buys cooking oil. We have, like, enriched flour that put the nutrients back in the flour. That's not so helpful if people are growing their own wheat or their own, you know, grains. Um, so, you have, so, the, so targeting um, foods that people actually will be purchasing that, uh, that can be fortified. Um. And then another, another um, intervention that's um, pretty simple and really effective is to address the um, severe um, acute malnutrition and the moderate acute malnutrition. And that is when children are in crisis, are on the verge of death. And so what, what has been developed is these ready-to-use therapeutic foods. This um, is called chiponde. Uh, it's a peanut peanut-based nutrition supplement, and it's used um, to treat those children. Um, and it's produced at a place called the Peanut Butter Project, Project Peanut Butter in Blantyre, Malawi. And so there's like 500 calories in here, um, and it, it's estimated that young children need between 1,000 to 2,000 calories a day. And so, you know, they were telling us that this is like this miracle food that children just like come back to life um, almost when they start to... Um, eat this. Um, and also, uh, when we were in Malawi, we went to a, a hospital where they treat children who are severely, severely malnourished, and, and there, were, there was a ward with different levels of malnourishment as they, they moved along the, the rows as the children got um, healthier and healthier. And um, so they would start with feeding tubes uh, for the children, because when they were super, super malnourished, they didn't want to eat because it was just they just felt so yucky and awful, and uh, so they would move them along, and I think the last of the stages they were eating this kind of Project Peanut Butter kind of supplement. Um, so I, I want to open this up a little bit and really get a sense from you all, like, what it is, um, you know, for those of you who are doing medical missions, what kinds of things are you doing that, that are... Um, that can help to make this more possible, more likely? Or have you had an experience doing some of these kind of um, projects where you're addressing maternal and child nutrition? Anybody? In Haiti, they, there is a tree called the moringa tree, if everyone's anyone's ever heard of it. Mm -hmm. So the organization I I travel with as mission possible, and they started propagating moringa trees and transplanting them into the smaller 
remote communities, teaching the people how to drive the seed pods and use them to supplement mm -hmm. their diets. Mm -hmm. the, um, one of the, the, er, the, I don't know if you call it herbs or whatever, that that, that village used was moringa. Um, and I've been told that it grows in the like really terrible circumstances. So like in the in the desert, <laughs> there's a water when it's really harsh heat conditions, and so people would eat it when it was when they were sort of desperate. But it has this perfect balance of nutrients um, for folks. Yeah. Any other experiences or thoughts or you want to share at this time? Right, that's great. That's great. Don't you want to share something? A lot of the things that um, we deal with are, are uh, kind of cultural misinformation. Uh, Liberia used to be self-sufficient in rice, but they think that the white rice that comes from China is better than the rice they grow. Which is not true. <laughs> and so you find malnutrition uh -huh. and uh, people not planting rice. There are a lot of things uh, they believe that children, their eggs are plentiful, but children who eat eggs will turn out to be thieves. So they do not eat children eggs, and children have uh, protein deficiencies. Mm -hmm. There's lots of, lots of carbs that have, mm -hmm. you know, because the fruits and vegetables grow plentifully. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of uh, cultural things take a long time and close relationships to change. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? We try to go from a biblical culture and not an American or European. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would add to that with the misconception around breastfeeding. In certain countries, women feel that in North America, uh, the mothers use formula, and so that would be better for their baby. And it's just a whole misconception to get around knowing your breastfeeding is much, much better for your child. And when the formula runs out, you water that down. And if you don't have access to good water to mix with the formula, then you're just hitting the same problem. In Liberia, they believe that the colostrum is poisonous, and so the babies are born and they only eat for three days. It's tragic. Other thoughts? Make or break kind of the whole starting process. 
Right. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the, the, you know, I've sort of breezed through this really fast, um, a little faster than I expected, I guess. Um, but I, one thing I will sort of go into that's not in this PowerPoint is, um, uh, so the, the Lancet is the British medical journal and has done a, a number done two different series on the importance of maternal and child nutrition in this 1,000-day window. Um, And the first series really lifted out these specific interventions that I've mentioned here. Um, The second series, which came out in June, um, there are a couple things that that really stick out to me um, in that. And and one is that it really gets into... um, nutrition-specific versus nutrition-sensitive. So all these are sort of nutrition-specific interventions. Um, But if we start talking about nutrition-sensitive interventions, then you sort of open up um, the the gate and you start thinking about how can I address nutrition in a sort of a more holistic way. And so how do I address nutrition through agriculture? Um, And when I'm doing an agriculture program, how do I measure specifically the impact of nutrition on the impact of this program on nutrition? So when I'm doing education, there's an opportunity there to do education around nutrition. So how does the education work that I'm doing uh, impact nutrition status of women and children? Um, When we're talking about... um, we're talking about uh, gender and doing work with women, you know, how do we pull in nutrition in that, so into that, that conversation um, and do education around the things that lead up, as you were saying. Um, so I didn't do a slide on this, but there's a cycle of malnutrition because you have young women who are malnourished. They're born underweight they grow up, they eat less, they eat last because they're women in their community and in their family. They get pregnant young because they got married early, too soon, and then they give birth to an underweight baby, right? And if that underweight baby is a girl, the whole thing starts over again, right? And so um, how do we uh, give women the, you know, shift in the culture the importance of girls getting good nutrition. I mean, one could argue that girls need better nutrition than boys. I mean, everybody should have the right nutrition, but girls are the, and women are the bodies that are feeding and nour- nourishing our children. Um, and, uh, and how do we get um, women access to uh, have some control of the income? You know, women are more likely to be the farmers and so how, how do we have, and women are more likely to invest their um, income in their families than, they, than our, our men. That's just sort of the reality of the situation. Um, and so how do we frame, shape, in, 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 a, in a, an authentic way where cultures shift so that women have the agency to make those kinds of decisions? Um, and the Lancet? 
Yeah, the, uh, what is the Lancet? I think if you call, I think it was released in June of 2013, the, um, the Lancet, and I think if you do maternal and child nutrition or a thousand days, and I have some resources here. Um, I don't have enough for everyone, unfortunately. I didn't even think to get all this stuff. Um, so there's a, we have several briefing papers. So Bread for the World is both an advocacy organization where we engage congregations in, in um, you know, doing advocacy with members of Congress and the president. We also have an educational institution. And so we put out briefing papers regularly on different issues. And so this one is um, enabling and equipping women to improve nutrition. So it talks about a lot of these issues of um, uh, you know, strengthening women's ability to improve nutrition, giving women the, the agency to make decisions, um, uh, gender-sensitive nutrition programs. Um, so even like in Malawi, they said they, when they do their education, they pair up men and women to do the education together so that the men also get educated on the importance of nutrition. So women say, I need this, da 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 the, the husbands understand that it's really critical, it's really important, and so that there's a, a whole education component for engaging men in the, in the conversation as well. Um, and then another brief, there's a bunch of them, but um, there's, a, there's a paper on um, implementing nutrition-sensitive development, reaching consensus. So this is a fairly new paper, came out in last November. Well, I guess it's not new anymore, but... Um, uh, so this, this addresses the issues of how do we take our, our um, programs and make them sensitive to nutrition and, and, and measure the uh, importance, the nutrition um, outcomes and track those. So like U.S. Agency for International Development, USAID, does this stuff all the time, but they're not tracking it, so we don't really know um, what's really happening. Um, so are there other factors that, in your minds, I mean, as you think about this stuff and as you think about what you know about development and what, you, what you've learned um, along the way, are there other factors that sort of come to your mind um, as you've been on mission trips or if you've been um, in the mission field? Are there other factors that you can think of that you would lift up? That's a hard question, I know. <laughs> Um, I just had a question about, sure. um, well, going back to the sweet potatoes, like, how realistic is it to bring in, like, new crops into a community? I feel like socially it would be very difficult to get people to change, like, the food that they eat. Like, I know I did a study on, like, cassava and stuff, mm-hmm. and it was nearly impossible to, to replace it with yeah. a much better and same-tasting. Yeah. Well, and it doesn't always taste the same, I don't think. I mean, and so that's a, a thing. That's a part of it. Um, you know, and I think that's part of where the government can play a role because, uh, you know, and, and the private sector also in terms of um, doing a media campaign. And so um, I don't have the picture in this um, slideshow, but in, in Zambia, when we got to Zambia, there's big signs and posters all over uh, Lusaka with, um, with uh, 1,000 special days on them. And you see a, a mom holding a baby, and they have 
signs. I think it's in this other slideshow, actually. I can show you. Uh, that's the wrong one. Yeah, I don't know where to go. Um, but doing a, a public media campaign that will um, that will allow to sort of get people excited about new products and new crops. And so what, whether that's on the radio or that's, let's see if I can find it, um, or it's billboards or whatever it is. Here it is. Can you s oh. see if I can get that one. So, um, a thousand days present, preventing stunting, and this is the Food and Nutrition Commission in Zambia. And so they had posters, like billboards, everywhere, all over town, that were talking about one thousand days, one thousand days preventing stunting, the importance of breastfeeding. But I think doing some sort of like rollout campaign about um, about new crops can get people excited. But I think it's also being in the communities and developing relationships and, and becoming a trusted partner in the community. And so working with the leadership of a community, working with the, um, uh, you know, the, the village head person. Um, when we were at the, at, that, at the village in Malawi, um, they said that um, they were trying to build latrines for every house, and this one family just kept holding out. And the wife was like, we need a latrine, we need a latrine. And the husband was like, nah, we don't need it, we don't need it. And he kept putting it off and putting it off. And they kept having cholera outbreaks. Like year after year after year, they would get cholera. And so finally, they went to the village head who went to the husband who said, you know, uh, this is really important and you really need to do this. And he convinced them. And then once they had latrines in every single house, they didn't have a cholera outbreak for years. And so even the village across the street, you know, like I don't know, a mile away was still getting cholera where this village had eliminated cholera because of their, their, their new sanitation practices. Um, so it's, it's really relational. But I think there's also the sort of like media... Uh, sort of like thousand foot um, thing to get people excited about. I mean, I, I imagine you could do all kinds of stuff. Another thing that we saw was um, this wasn't related to nutrition, but there was a group of kids who did HIV AIDS education. And so they lived in this community and there were all these kids who were HIV positive and they did all this outreach to these kids and they developed a team of like 17 year olds who would go into the streets and do skits and they would do they would dance and do skits that would educate people about like how to prevent the transmission of HIV AIDS. I've like shifted our slideshow here. Let's see if that works. No. Here we go. No, I didn't resume it. Sorry. <laughs> I'm in the wrong one. Any other questions while I try to figure out this slideshow again?
medications for change or how do you get the more healthy goals in life? Um, that is not my area of expertise. <laughs> Honestly, I, I, um, oh, why is this not working? Sorry, this is tricky. Let's see if that works. No. May, may I address that? Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I think um, I think it's similar to what we were talking about earlier. It's I think it's about partnership and how do you how do you go? I mean, I think we have to think about our our sort of mission model um, and how do we go into communities and really work in partnership um, and do that in authentic ways that don't sort of tokenize the people and um, have our kind of like, we are the U.S. coming to save the brown people. You know, we're the white people of the U.S. coming to save the brown people. I think maybe that was a little crass for this moment. I'm sorry. But, but I think that, that it, takes, it takes really hard work um, to, to do that with part, in partnership. And I think... Um, that is not what I do for a living. I, I work with church ladies to, like, go talk to Congress about the issues. And I, it comes up in our work, too, because, you know, how do, we, how do we with integrity go to Congress and say, this is what people need? Um, and I think we do it with good hearts and with good intentions. Um, but I think there are some questions in the work even that we do in terms of trying to, um, to, to do it in partnership instead of, you know, helping other people with, I cannot get my sledgehammer to resume. I'm sorry, you guys. So I'll just go on to the next part, and that is um, the next slide says that there's a new global consensus. So we're in this really, really great moment right now where um, the world gets it. Like, everybody gets it. The UN gets it. The Gates Foundation gets it. The U.S. government gets it. The UK government um, gets it. And um, so we have a really great opportunity to make a huge difference because um, the research is showing really specifically that this thousand days is so critical. Um, And so um, there are two really crazy pieces of information. Um, One is that nutrition can cause losses up to 8% in the the gross domestic product of a country. Um, And when you address that, you get like 2 to 3% gains when we do system-wide addressing under nutrition, you really boost the gross domestic product of a country. And the other thing is that each U.S. dollar invested in nutrition can yield up to $138 in returns. So you have health care savings costs that, um, that by addressing undernutrition in this early window, um, people are less likely to get sick later on. They're less likely to need health services. They're also, the, the other thing that the Lancet said, they're also less likely to get non-communicable diseases like heart disease and diabetes, which are becoming really critical, serious issues in these developing countries. Because when you don't get the foundational nutrition and then you start getting access to 
you know, high-calorie, low-nutrient foods when you get older, you start to pack on the weight and you start to, your body reacts negatively. Um, and then uh, I was just going to say that three of the eight UN Millenn- Millennium Development um, Goals are about um, related to nutrition, and that's eradicating extreme hunger and poverty, reducing child mortality, and improving maternal health. Um, and and I, my last slide here is, um, you know, how do we respond as Christians? And I think your question about how do we do this with integrity and partnership is, is a really critical question that, that is going to take a lot of work for us to address. And, um, but, like, what does it mean for us as Christians? Like, what is, our, what is our responsibility? What is our work in this? And so I sort of, I think we have five minutes left or something like that. But I would love to hear any of your thoughts on, on what that means for you all. For me, personally, it means doing this advocacy work and working to get um, policies and programs from the U.S. government focused on 1,000 days and nutrition um, and to do education work. But but what does it mean for you all? What does it mean for you and your walk of faith? Nothing? (laughs) You got nothing? Any thoughts, like, you know, what is this bringing up for you? What are you thinking about? Well, I think for a lot of us, too, it means that we have to step out of our box because we're so used to going in. I don't like to use the word fixing things. Right. By, but going in and educating them and trying to figure out ways to get them to be sustainable for themselves and to be able to want to do those things. With them. And that's hard for us, I think, because it does take longer than 10 days or 14 days to be someplace. You mm-hmm. have to be there, so you have to work with what you have, and so we have to step out of our box now. Not that we shouldn't still do short-term mm-hmm. trips, but we need to go about maybe reworking what we, what we did before. Instead mm-hmm. of trying to fix something in 10 days, is trying to work with educating those people to do those things, and I think that's hard for us right now, so we have to step mm-hmm. out of our box. And also finding out what the the local cultural wisdom is because maybe there are some solutions within that community that already exist. Um, there are some things that have kind of gotten lost along the way or that the shiny, you know, Western solutions are distracting from, like, really good. Um, and sometimes that's not the case, I mean, but sometimes it is. I was going to say kind of like that. I have a colleague at, I work at Children's Hospital in Columbus. She's actually studying right now um, in the United States Mexicans, a lot of Mexican children actually have better control over their asthma and what their parents are doing at home with non-traditional things as opposed to the kids who are on our medications from the United States and Puerto Rico. Hmm. So she's actually looking in right now. What are they doing that is actually going a lot better and mm-hmm. kind of meeting people with where they're at, with what they have, and um, realizing maybe they actually have an asset that we don't and assume that our medicine or our ways of doing things aren't always the absolute best. Right. There's somebody else. Uh, I was just wondering, what is with the uh, U.S. government tightening budgeting and things like that, how is that impacting your organization and other mm-hmm. things like that that are trying to bring nutrition into Yeah. Um, I will just clarify, we don't actually do any programming on the ground. We are policy. We only work on policy and advocacy. Um, but we have lots of partners who do stuff on the ground, and and our work is informed by them very much. Uh, But what it means for our advocacy work is that um, 
the farm bill is up right now, and um, food aid is is under fire. And food aid is really, really important. Um, when there's a crisis in a country, the U.S. ships food over to um, to help people uh, sustain themselves. And so um, we are concerned that food aid will be cut in the next week or two. Um, so our work and our messaging is around, you know, this Congress is, is, is taking money out of the mouths of children and families around the world and in the United States with, the, the, with SNAP, the food stamp program. But that's not what this is about. <laughs> but, yes, food aid is really important. And, you know, um, as we are trying to, um, you know, the, the poverty-focused development assistance programs and the budgets for those are – um, are not safe, you know, from cuts. And um, so it's really important that we continue to, um, to fight for those, for those dollars because the U.S. government offers grants to groups like Catholic Relief Services and World Vision and um, other organizations that do this work. Um, they get a significant amount of money from, from, uh, the, from the U.S. government to do the work. Um, and so we don't want to lose that. Any other questions? Thoughts? Well, thanks, you guys, for coming out. It was really great to hang out with you for a bit. And uh, I'm here for your questions.